Hello and welcome to In the Word with Michelle Telfer. Thanks for joining us for this in-depth study of God's Word, the Bible. This lesson was previously recorded by Michelle in front of a live audience. Paul encouraged believers that although we once lived a lifestyle that was very far from the Lord, we are to do so no longer, for three things are now true of us. In Christ, we have become God's chosen people. We are now holy in God's sight, not because of anything we have done, but because of what Christ has done on our behalf. And we are so loved by him that it changes everything. When we realize who we are in Christ and how God sees us, it makes us want to be more like Jesus, full of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. This new and better way of living will transform our relationships with people because we're to treat others in the same way that we would want to be treated. We're to represent Christ in all of our dealings as we live different to the culture around us. We're to be imitated of God as his dearly loved children, willing to die to self in order to live for Christ. Having explained how the relationships between husbands and wives, parents and children, as well as slaves and their masters, are to reflect this new way of living, Paul goes on with a few final instructions, saying in Colossians 4 verse 2, Devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful, and pray for us too that God may open a door for our message so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I am in chains. Pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should. Paul asks them to persevere in prayer, being both watchful and thankful. Paul asks those in Colossae to pray for him, but I want you to notice that he doesn't ask that they pray for the prison door to be opened for his release. Rather, he asks they pray for an open door for his message to go forth. I'm so challenged by the fact that he doesn't ask for a release from his chains, but rather he asks prayer for him to be able to fulfill the call of God on his life. His greatest desire is not for himself, but for the message Christ gave him to be communicated clearly to others. He then goes on to speak of how believers are to live saying, be wise in the way you act towards outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation always be full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. We're to remember that we represent Christ to the world and that we are to make the most of every opportunity we have to share Christ with those around us through both our words and our deeds. Our conversation is not only to reflect God's grace, but it's also to be seasoned with salt. Now, in Paul's day, salt was mostly used as a preservative to prevent foods such as meat from decaying. It was so very Valuable that salt was even used as a form of currency. And of course, we all know how salt improves the flavor of food. So Paul uses this phrase as a symbol for what Christian conversation should be like. 
meaning that the words of a believer should preserve the message of Christ for as many people as possible. What we say ought to add value to the conversation, and not only that, there's to be a different flavor, a different character about what we say. And we must depend on Christ to give us the wisdom that we need to be able to answer the questions that people ask. Paul then begins to give final greetings, and as he does so, he speaks of several of the people who were working alongside of him. They were all heroes of faith, because we can't forget the fact that because Paul was waiting trial, they were, in fact, risking their necks in order to associate with him. He mentions Tuchikos first in verse 7. Tuhikos will tell you all the news about me. He is a dear brother, a faithful minister and fellow servant in the Lord. I'm sending him to you for the express purpose that you may know about our circumstances and that he may encourage your hearts. He is coming with Onesimus, our faithful and dear brother who is one of you. They will tell you everything that is happening here. Tuchikos had been with Paul in Rome and was now being sent to Colossae, not only to deliver the letter to them, but also to give them a personal update on Paul's circumstances and his ministry while in Rome. You see, the letters were by necessity short, dealing with only the most important teaching and information, and so much of the personal news was given by word of mouth. Although Paul doesn't specifically mention it here, we do know that Tuchikos was also carrying another letter to a man by the name of Philemon. You see, Tuchikos was being accompanied by Onesimus, a runaway slave who, after he received Christ as Lord, had agreed to return to his master Philemon. Notice how Paul refers to Onesimus, though, not as a slave, but rather as our faithful and dear brother who is one of you. And notice Onesimus has also been given a part to play in telling them everything that is happening in Rome. Now, I referred to Onesimus briefly in our last time together as having likely influenced Paul's decision to comment so extensively on the relationship between masters and their slaves at the end of Colossians chapter 3. And because we have time, I'd like us to briefly look at what Paul says to Philemon in his letter to him. So you want to turn with me to Philemon and there is only one chapter in the book, so we'll start at verse 1. Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, and Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, our dear friend and fellow worker, also to Apphia, our sister, and Archippus, our fellow soldier, and to the church that meets in your home. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, before we go on into the letter, I want to pause a moment here to point out a few things in the introduction. Do you notice that Paul does not introduce himself as an apostle in this letter? Why is that? Well, it's because he's writing to Philemon as a friend and a fellow brother in Christ. 
Christ, not as one who is in authority over him. In fact, he further appeals to Philemon's kindness by reminding him of the fact that Paul is himself a prisoner of Christ Jesus, and he greets him as our dear friend and fellow worker. Because Paul is going to ask Philemon to do him a favor, not for Paul himself, but rather for Onesimus, whom Paul was helping to get his life back on track. We're not sure who the other people are that Paul mentions in this greeting, but the rest of the letter is addressed to Philemon alone. As Paul continues in verse 4, he says, I always thank my God as I remember you in my prayers because I hear about your love for all his holy people and your faith in the Lord Jesus. I pray that your partnership with us in the faith may be effective in deepening your understanding of every good thing we share for the sake of Christ. Your love has given me great joy and encouragement because you, brother, have refreshed the hearts of the Lord's people. Evidently, from what Paul says, Philemon was a man of faith who not only loved God, but who also loved God's people. It was Paul's prayer that Philemon's faith and understanding of all that is ours in Christ would continue to grow, and he told him of the joy he had in hearing the news of how Philemon refreshed others, giving them the strength to continue in their commitment to the Lord. The way Paul puts this is very interesting because it almost seems as if he is saying that it was as Philemon partnered with him for the sake of the gospel that his faith and his experience of Christ really had the potential to grow. And, you know, from my own experience, I can tell you that that is true because over the years, it has been as I've stepped out in service of the Lord, partnering with others for the sake of the gospel, that I've grown in my own faith as well. As we act on God's word and join him in the work that only he can do, the natural result seems to be a deepening in our understanding of every good thing that we share for the sake of Christ. It was because of Philemon's love for God and his people that Paul believed he could ask for his help, and so he makes his plea for Onesimus in verse 8. Therefore, although in Christ I could be bold and order you to do what you ought to do, yet I prefer to appeal to you on the basis of love. It is as none other than Paul, an old man and now also a prisoner of Christ Jesus, that I appeal to you for my son Onesimus, who became my son while I was in chains. Formerly he was useless to you, but now he has become useful both to you and to me. Paul knew that he could have spoken like the respected church leader he was, and he could have demanded Philemon do what he should regarding Onesimus. But Paul took the gentler route, saying that he was making his appeal on the basis of love. He was an old man who was confined to prison, and during that time, he'd not only met Onesimus, but it seems that he'd led him to the Lord as well, which is what Paul likely means 
means when he says, I appeal to you for my son Onesimus, who became my son while I was in chains. Paul calls him his son in line with what the Jewish rabbis would have taught him because they commonly stated that if you taught someone else about the Lord, the scriptures really regarded you as their spiritual father. And it was certainly true. By sharing the gospel with Onesimus, Paul had enabled him to be born again by the power of the Holy Spirit. It's so interesting to me, though, that the name Onesimus actually means beneficial or useful. And so Paul jokingly makes a play on those words and with his name illustrates the transformation that had occurred in this man. Notice Paul makes no excuse for Onesimus who had run away. All he says is that although he was formerly useless to his master, now he had become useful to both Philemon and to Paul because he had been transformed by Christ. And you know, what's true for Onesimus is indeed true for all of us who've given our lives to Christ because although we were once useless to God, now we have indeed become useful. And he wants us where we can be most effective for his kingdom. Now, some of you might be wondering why Paul would ever send Onesimus back to his master. But Paul knew that Philemon was a person who loved the Lord. He knew that he could appeal to him to treat Onesimus fairly. And the truth is that sometimes God wants us to face our past in order for us to be truly effective for the kingdom of God in the future. Paul is sure, though, to reiterate his love for this man, thus guaranteeing his welcome back in Colossae. In verse 12, he says, I'm sending him who is my very heart back to you. I would have liked to keep him with me so that he could take your place in helping me while I am in chains for the gospel. But I did not want to do anything without your consent so that any favor you do would not seem forced but would be voluntary. Perhaps the reason he was separated from you for a little while was that you might have him back forever, no longer as a slave, but better than a slave, as a dear brother. He is very dear to me, but even dearer to you, both as a fellow man and as a brother in the Lord." Paul leaves Philemon in no doubt about how he feels about Onesimus, saying that in sending him back, it felt as if Paul was sending back part of his own heart. And he confirms that he would have liked Onesimus to have stayed on to help him while he was in prison, but he knew that he couldn't do that without Philemon's consent. Paul wanted Philemon to act out of his own free will, and he wanted him to do what was right according to God's word. You know, according to the laws of the time, Philemon would have been within his rights to make Onesimus' life a misery, and he could have even put him to death if he so wished. But Paul wanted him to think of the possibility that God had allowed the circumstances that led Onesimus to run away so that he could be saved in the end. He says in verse 15 through 16, perhaps the reason he was separated from you for a little while was that you might have him back forever, no longer as a slave, but better than a slave as a dear brother. 
Somehow, Onesimus' escape had led him to Paul and to the God whom Paul served, and that had changed everything, even to the point of Onesimus being willing to return to the life he had once fled. It is such a powerful thing to realize that Christianity is not so much about helping us escape our past and run away from it, as it is about giving us the strength to face our past and to rise above it. Onesimus had to really trust God in order to return, and Paul wanted Philemon to appreciate the amazing change that had occurred in his one-time slave who had now actually become his brother in the Lord. Paul continues to make his appeal in verse 17. So if you consider me a partner, welcome him as you would welcome me. If he has done you any wrong or owes you anything, charge it to me. And I, Paul, am writing this with my own hand. I will pay it back, not to mention that you owe me your very self. I do wish, brother, that I may have some benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. Confident of your obedience, I write to you knowing that you will do even more than I ask. Basically, Paul is saying that if Philemon agrees that he is Paul's partner in the gospel and that Onesimus is indeed Paul's son in the faith, then he must receive Onesimus as if he is receiving Paul himself. And this is quite a challenge for all of us because we have to also ask ourselves, are we willing to receive a person back who has made a mistake in the past? If they have truly repented, are we willing to trust them again or do we hold them at arm's length, suspicious that they're going to betray us again? We have to remember how hard it is for others to come back when they've strayed. And if we are to mirror God's heart, we have to be more like the father in the story of the prodigal son who ran out to meet his son as he returned than we are to be like the older brother who was so angry that his brother was even welcomed back into the family. In verse 18, Paul offers to personally repay any costs incurred by Philemon because of what Onesimus had done. And he goes as far as to write the section down in his own hand so that Philemon can be sure that he meant what he said and that no one had added to the letter without Paul's knowledge. He promises to repay Onesimus's debts, but he jokes with Philemon, reminding him that he owed his very life to Paul's preaching, and wouldn't it be right for Paul to get something in return for that? Paul wanted to be refreshed in heart by Philemon's willingness to obey Christ, and he goes on to say that he is not only confident of Philemon's obedience, but that he believed he would do even more than Paul was asking him to do. Paul, despite his chains, was still hopeful, as always, that he would soon be free, and he concludes the letter by saying, And one more thing, prepare a guest room for me, because I hope to be restored to you in answer to your prayers. After all that time in prison, Paul was still optimistic, knowing that God answers prayer. And then he concluded by sending greetings from some of those who were with him in Rome before blessing Philemon with the grace of the Lord Jesus as he signed off.
Now, those he mentions at the end of Philemon's letter are the same as those he mentions at the end of his letter to the Colossians. So we're going back now into Colossians 4, picking up at verse 10. Tuchikos and Onesimus were to carry the letter, but there were others who also sent their greetings. And he says, My fellow prisoner Aristarchus sends you his greetings, as does Mark, the cousin of Barnabas. You've received instructions about him. If he comes to you, welcome him. Jesus, who is called Justice, also sends greetings. These are the only Jews among my co-workers for the kingdom of God, and they have proved a comfort to me. Aristarchus was from Thessalonica. We know little else about him other than he was a faithful friend and willing to endure all things for Christ. He'd been with Paul when the silversmiths rioted over Paul's teaching in Ephesus. And in fact, he was one of the men who was captured and dragged before the mob. You can go and read about that account in Acts chapter 19. And in Acts 27 verse 2, we learn of how Aristarchus had accompanied Paul on his journey from prison in Caesarea to prison in Rome. Interestingly, many believe that he voluntarily became Paul's slave so as to be allowed to travel with him on the ship. Whatever the case, this brave man went through the storm and the shipwreck with Paul and now was a fellow prisoner with him in Rome. Additionally, Paul mentions Mark, who was the cousin of Barnabas, and the mere fact that we know that Mark was with Paul at this point is very encouraging because he had actually caused a lot of trouble in the past. In Acts chapter 13, where we are told about Paul's first missionary journey, we know that he was accompanied by his dear friend Barnabas and also Barnabas's cousin Mark, who sometimes went by the name of John Mark, who went with them as their assistant. Shortly after that, though, we're told about how upon reaching the region of Pamphylia, Mark abandoned the mission and returned to Jerusalem. We're not told what caused him to leave them in the way that he did, but from his later response, it's very clear that this was a great irritation to Paul. So much so that in Acts 15, we're told of another conversation in which Paul proposed another mission trip to Barnabas, and the subject of Mark came up once again, with Paul refusing to let him accompany them a second time. His disagreement with the proposal, in fact, was so strong, it led to him and Barnabas parting ways and journeying on with other people. But whatever the rift had been, it seems to have been healed because Mark was now with Paul in Rome. And in a later letter to Timothy, Paul actually speaks about how useful Mark was to him. So if you think about it, there really are some similarities between Mark and Onesimus, both of whom had been useless at one time, only to later become useful to the Lord. And here, Paul urges the church that if Mark comes to them, they too are to welcome him. You see, he wanted to be sure that Mark's past did not follow him. And in fact, it is believed that this is the Mark who wrote the Gospel of Mark, largely from what he learned about Christ from others.
The final person Paul mentions here is Jesus, who was also known as Justice. We know nothing about him except his name and the fact that he was from a Jewish background. He, like the others, Paul considered co-workers for the kingdom of God who had provided comfort to him. Paul continued, in verse 12, Epaphras, who is one of you and a servant of Christ, Jesus, sends greetings. He is always wrestling in prayer for you that you may stand firm in all the will of God, mature and fully assured. I vouch for him that he is working hard for you and for those at Laodicea and Herapolis. Our dear friend Luke, the doctor, and Demas send greetings. Epaphras had been the man sent by Paul to plant the church in Colossae. And it seems that he was a close friend who traveled back and forth to Paul with news of that region. There is some thought that he may have been pastor over not only the church at Colossae, but the churches at Laodicea and Herapolis as well. He was certainly a man who worked and prayed for the people that God had sent him to. Additionally, Paul mentions Luke, who was his beloved physician. Luke not only frequently accompanied Paul, but he was the one who wrote the Gospel of Luke as well as the book of Acts. And then, without extra comment, Paul also mentions Demas. And perhaps the fact that he says nothing about Demas is telling, because later, when writing his second letter to Timothy, Paul reveals in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 10, that Demas deserted Paul and had gone to Thessalonica, and I quote, because he loved this world rather than Christ. Paul continues then in verse 15 saying, Give my greetings to the brothers and sisters at Laodicea and to Nympha and the church in her house. After this letter has been read to you, see that it is also read in the church of the Laodiceans and that you in turn read the letter from Laodicea. Tell Archippus, see to it that you complete the ministry you have received in the Lord. Of course, there were no church buildings in those days and believers met in house churches. Apparently, one of them met in the home of a woman by the name of Nympha. The fact that he mentions that they're to exchange letters with the church in Laodicea shows how the letters were really widely circulated among the believers of that time. We don't have that letter, but it does stand to reason that Paul must have written a lot more than those we know of. He urges Archippus to carry out the special task he had been given, but we don't really know what that was. But perhaps he was the leader of Philemon's home church because he, if you remember, was mentioned in Philemon's letter. And finally, he Paul concludes by writing in his own hand in verse 18, saying, I, Paul, write this greeting in my own hand. Remember my chains. Grace be with you. Paul actually used a scribe to write the letters he dictated most of the time, but it was his custom to write the closing greeting himself so that his final blessing would be in his own hand. He asked them to remember his chains, and that was something he often referred to, but it was never a plea for sympathy. We have to remember that as he wrote, his hand was chained to the hand of a Roman soldier. And 
Yet he asks that they remember this, not so that they will take pity on him, but that like him, they would stand strong in their witness for Christ, irrespective of the personal cost. Paul never asked them to do anything he was not prepared to do himself, and as always, he ends with God's grace, which was the very thing he built his own life upon. I hope you've enjoyed our study in these letters of Paul as much as I have. His prevailing theme through them has been in Christ alone. You see, it is in Christ alone that we have salvation. He is our model for a righteous life, and it is in him, by the power of his Spirit, that we become new creations to the praise and glory of God's name. It is my prayer that we will all live as good ambassadors for Christ wherever he has put us. May God bless you. Let's pray. Father God, thank you so much for all you've said to us through the study of the books of Galatians, Philippians, and Colossians. Lord, we praise you for the way that you've spoken to our hearts in such a way that is still relevant to our lives today. Thank you, God, for your eternal word. May it be used to make us more like Christ. It is in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to In the Word with Michelle Telfer. Join us next week as we continue our study from God's Word, the Bible. Michelle's messages are also available on all major podcast platforms and on her website at intheword.com.